Welcome to People with Purpose. So many people are looking for meaning, but they don't know where to start. Imagine a world where everyone could just get their purpose out of them and then actually make it happen. I'm David Roberts and I believe that we all have a purpose and with focus and a little help, people with purpose make a difference. And this show is where these stories come to life. Sharon Griffiths, welcome to the People with Purpose podcast. Thank you for inviting me, David. Lovely to have you on. So Sharon, your um, your vision is uh, connecting curious people worldwide so that everyone is inspired and enabled to create their own shappiness. Now that's uh, that's a, a word that you've uh, you've created. It is a hybridized word, yes. It's an intentional state, shappiness. Okay. And what's that then? What's that then? What's that? Right. Think of Ellen Shapiro walking back to happiness and Ken Dodd, happiness, happiness. <laughs> Those two songs. So a shappiness is an intentional, purposeful state. It, it, it has hedonic and eudaimonic drivers whereby you combine intentionally and purposefully the actions of or the yeah, the actions leading to the results of success combined with happiness because it's like, I suppose Peter Sage describes it, if you can be successful, but when you get there, you're chasing a white rabbit, so you're after the next thing and you're never happy. Mm. You get one, never happy for the audience there, so you're never really happy. And I wrote about that in my first uh, co-author book, Mastering the Game of Life. Uh, and I always reached a point where I was successful. I didn't feel I was successful. Or maybe I did feel I was successful. I'd achieved 100% of the outcomes. I had a worthy ideal, as Napoleon said, Hill said. I'd achieved it. But there was always something missing. I was on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I didn't realise it. So although success, achievement and success were intentional, it was like I was in this space. but. I wasn't feeling 100%. I was a bit happy because I'd done it, but then it was momentary and uh, passing. Uh, so it has to be an intentional, purposeful state where success and ha- success and happiness are combined in a fulfilling and meaningful way. Does mm. that make sense? It does make sense because when you've got a... Um I suppose it's interesting because this is about people with purpose and and purpose in a way is bigger than a goal, isn't it? Because once you achieve a goal, um, you know, you've you've got that potential to be joyful and and exuberant and happy about it. But then quite quickly, you're on to the next one, you're on to the next one. So it's, it's, you know, purpose, I I describe purpose as a direction instead of describing it as a destination because of course you've got goals of course you've got things that you want to achieve but actually the purpose is something that's going to going to going to if it's something that's bigger than yourself it's going to carry on and it's going to it's going to be a, a bigger thing perhaps than achieving one specific milestone so you've got to enjoy the journey exactly and the other the other thing is is you can have a purpose bigger than you you can be on the martyrs or the hero's journey, but if you don't know what the bigger purpose is, you know it's there, somewhere in there, your genius, your your guide is telling you, but you ain't got a clue. So you haven't got a clue, apologies. So you, you, you achieve this goal, and if it's in alignment with you and you're flowing, you'll keep going. And when you get there, you think, oh, I've done that, that's brilliant. But then as, you know, this white rabbit effect happens. So it, with awareness... You can you can then begin to identify what your north star is, and if you can allow. I used to teach geography. I was a geography teacher. So in the old days, last century, uh, when we had Ogden survey maps, you'd have your compass and you'd have your grids. And I used to lead kids with Duke of Edinburgh's award scheme expeditions, and I was a coordinator as well. So we take the kids on the expeditions, and they they plan their route. It was there, and at the end. They got there, okay? And they're all checkpoints along the way. We call them milestones, I suppose, as well, checkpoints along the way. But we'd have the teachers watching out or the uh, expedition uh, leaders watching out, whether it was on a hill or whether it was meeting them. But the kids knew where they were going. I said kids and people, 15 to 
to 14 to 16. They knew where they were going and they knew what their destination was and they knew how they were going to get there. They didn't know about the encounters along the way, but they were on a mission. They were carrying every rucksack. They had a 15-mile walk to go on. They had these – I came from Essex, so this is what I did. So they, they looked at the hills. Of, if we went to, to uh, Sussex in the south, so they went over these mountains – like the big brown bear hung over it, through it, round it, etc. Mm-hmm. They knew where they were going. Now, one example to clarify this, there were some boys who knew where they were going and they thought they knew what they were doing. And I said to them, bring your map, stick it on the, the bonnet of the miniverse and put your compass there. And that, of course, they knew what they're doing because they're scouts and their dads were around them and they knew what they were doing. And the girls were looking quizzically because they'd learned something, the girls, but the boys had it. I said, right, where are you going? I said, where's north? And they went, that way. I said, okay, are you happy? And you really want to go there? Yes, they said. So off they went. And the girls are going, miss, miss, miss. Uh, they ain't got it right, miss. I said, why is that, girls? And they said, well, you told us that the... The metal in the bus affects the magnetic north. I said, well spotted. And so after about a little while, I drove up to the boys. I said, tell me where you're going now. And they said, they looked at the map. I said, don't put it on the van. Just look at your map. And they looked at me and said, we're going the wrong way. I said, are you? And they went, we're going 180 degrees the wrong way. I said, are you? I said, so which way is north? And they went, where are you going? And then they got on track. So it's about like having your North Star guiding you. And because of that, you know where you're heading, but you can identify your milestones as well. So that's a simple explanation, really. Great story. That's a great story. So um, yeah. you, you're now a property investor and you're an uh, ambassador for, for world game changers. But as you say, you, you started off really with a career in education. So, so why don't you tell us your story and how you got from wherever it started until what you're doing now. Okay, so I was born in Westmores uh, in Dorset. My dad was in the army. That was 1961. That was like 60 years ago. And he fell in love with my mum when she was 14. He met her in a chip shop in Leicester because they both came from Leicester. And they went down. He was stationed in the army. I was born. And then they moved back to Leicester. And uh, we moved into a council estate in Leicester because council estates were the green gardens after the war. And I was brought up in a council estate. And I lived in an environment where we looked forward to the working men's club every Saturday night. And we had the pantomimes and the Easter bullet. But it was a real culture. Uh, and, but for me, there was something not quite, I didn't align with it. And I used to go and escape from people. I used to go walking wherever, in the, bomb, the old bomb sites as well. I used to go walking and uh, my gran was highly influential on me. She, she provided an opportunity for me to go across town on a double-decker bus. And she enabled me to walk there if I wanted. And she had some caravans. So every school holiday, uh, holiday I would be living in a caravan. So I didn't bother my mum and dad. Because uh, my mum and dad had six kids. I say six kids up to the 31st of July, 1970, uh, when my brother got killed. But... For me, it was about freedom and choice. And I remember when I was about nine year old, I was we lived in Leicester, so our nearest seaside resort was Inglewells in Lincolnshire, near Skegness. And I looked up at the sky and I saw all these seagulls. And I thought, I want to be free like the seagulls. I want to fly and walk and go wherever. And I also had a book of gypsy fairy stories, gypsy stories. So the caravans and the freedom really excited me. So all my life, and I made a vow to myself that I would be free one day with no adults telling me what to do, no one telling me what they thought I should do, and nobody tell me uh, uh, how I was or should be, etc. or wasn't, I wasn't very good at So all through my life, that's what I strive for. Uh, in 1975, I, I did a computer science CSE, that's like GCSE, and I did it because I could get out of school and go where the adults are, a new environment. And uh, there were these people with long hair. There were hippies. I didn't know about this in those days. But the teachers, the teachers said to me, Sharon, you're really good at computing. Why don't you do computing? And it was so annoying, paper tape. An hour and a half to 
do give instructions to the computer for it to tell me I was wrong. And it frustrated me. I said, no, I don't, I don't want to do computing. I want to do judo. I want to do sports. So then I left school uh, doing a, I left school three O-levels, grade C's. And this kindly sixth form teacher allowed me into a sixth form next door to my school. And she allowed me to do sociology A-level and geography A-level and pass my O-level and French uh, because it was something that I enjoyed. And that's the key thing I enjoyed. I wasn't very good, but I couldn't write it very good, but I did that. And from there, I built my judo career up and uh, I, at the age of 15. And I wanted to be a black belt. Uh, and I got my black belt when I was 18 early in February 2000, no, 1979. And I went to Polytechnic to do a geography degree. Now, I wasn't very good at maths, so anything that didn't involve maths, I did not do. I like people, so I did urban, social geography, political geography, ethnicity, that sort of thing. So I was able to go to a university, escape from Leicester, go to a university. I loved everyone there, but go to a university, do my degree, uh, come back to my parents and say, look, I've got a degree. I've been to university, geography. What the use is that, they said. Uh, but uh, I then didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, and then I progressed to teaching because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just like helping people. But something happened when I was 18. I forgot my black belt. And then I always did what I loved to do. I lived my dream. And when people stopped me or things happened, I didn't like, I just swapped and progressed. And I had a teaching career uh, in various roles, pre-16 and post-16 for a large county council, as it says in my books. And when I was t in 2015, after 30 years, I asked for redundancy. I got given it. And then uh, life changed. And I became a volunteer uh, coordinator, a community development worker for a large national charity to do with mental health in the UK. And I recruited and trained volunteers. Uh, it was a commission service for the 2014 Care Act. But in 2019, on the 31st of January, I left my job to pursue more of what I wanted to do. And that was about finding out about myself and finding more freedom. And that's how I ended up here. That's a summary. Okay. So now you're uh, focused on helping people. Uh, how how do you how do you help people now? I've always been focused on helping people right mm. from the early days when right. I was a student. I used to, I was a waitress, and I loved taking food to people. It made them smile. This food gets it's deliberately slowed down. So how, well, you find out what they really really want. Uh, over time in my career, I did a needs analysis. I was just doing a needs analysis. What do they want? Now, what do they want? What do they need? And what can I offer? And what do I need? So I just listen to people. And then something happens in my head. It's like if they say they want or need something, I'll sit and I'll listen and I'll ask questions. Always curious. And suddenly something will pop in my head. It could be a person, a place, a resource, a connection. And I have to discerningly decide along the way, listening to myself, is that what they need at the time? So although I'm fully with them and listening to them, uh, something will pop out and then many things will pop out so it's a case of understanding what they want so that I can signpost them or connect them to something or some things that will help them along the way to shortcut time collapse time for them so that's kind of how I do it okay and that that um what's interesting I suppose is you've you've had a career in education and then you've made a decision to to do things differently. Now, it sounds like that's been a little bit driven by not wanting to be told what to do, but wanting to be able to decide what to do. So there's something interesting to explore there, but also the actual practicalities of 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 how you've made that transition and then and then kept going. I think that could be really helpful for people because people are quite often in a job and they perhaps feel stuck. They perhaps feel like they that they've got to do this because that's what they've just got to do. They've got to put food on the table. They've got to pay the mortgage. They've got to do whatever. So, so what happened to you then? That internal trigger, and then how that played out from the point of view of what action you took to make that change. Okay, there's a word that I often use: seamless transition. Okay, so if you don't know where you're going and why. It's like that story about the kids. You don't know where you're going. You don't know why. 
you ain't going to get there. So if you know where you're going, you identify your start with the end in mind, you know what you're doing. So if you know what you're doing and why, uh, and you know where you're going to end up, the what, the why, the how will follow. So it's a case of we talk about jobs. Okay, I've had numerous jobs. Uh, often in the early days, I had to do the jobs for the money I needed. As a waitress, I got £3.50 for three hours' work, or maybe less, and they gave me free food. So that meant that my responsibility of feeding myself, sustaining myself with a bit of extra money for on the way was there. Sometimes I, I worked, sometimes I... I went, when I was a kid, went to a rubbish tip and got mats flat to make up and made little boxes out of it and sold it for 50p, cheaper than eight months. So it's a case of identifying, what do I need to do to achieve my goal? So you know you're in your mind, but it's all the little steps along the way. Each little step and each little action that you immerse yourself in and you're fully present with, you can do your best at it. And if you can do the best at what you can, it links into Toltec's four agreements with yourself. If you can always do the best at the time, it's going to take you to where you go. So that one step at a time. But then as you, you are, an, through what you do, you are, uh, you are who you are through what you do, and you become what you become through what you're doing. So when you complete that or you're on the way to that, uh, you're moving closer, you're narrowing the gap. But along the way can come – and because you're very focused and you know where you're going, you it's like that swing ball game, you know, and it's, you knock the things away. So if you're very clear and you have uh, crystal clear clarity, you'll go there. But then, as I've just recently described it to people, uh, you will have lots of opportunities along the way, lots of Sputniks that hit you. So it's like a scent from somewhere. And uh, it's up to you and your choices whether you bat them away, or you, the shiny, like shiny pennies, or you keep going. So the key thing is if you know where you're going and you know what your end goal is, you will get there. But there's things that are out of our control. So it's also being aware of that. So you can actually step in and out of a situation with a little eye focused on the goal and stepping out and a big eye seeing the overall view. It's a bit like driving, isn't it? When you drive, you go from, but you don't know who's going to come out the way. So that is so critical. And I learned that over time. Uh, I had many experiences when I did go for the low-hanging fruit and uh, I suffered and I had pain along the way, but we don't talk about that very much. So uh, getting that crystal clear clarity with foresight and with hindsight as well. Okay. Does that help? Yeah, it really helps. Yeah. So so it starts off then with that clarity about the direction, you know, the direction you want to go in. So 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 what's your what's your direction then? Just just clarify what your direction is. Well, it's it. <laughs> it's uh you know, you've got time and space. And where you, you know where you're going and you're in the flow, time is insignificant, okay? The final destination is to uh, leave a brilliant legacy so that I'm never forgotten with the world I'm connected with. But I'm going to, I know I'm going to pass through this world. That's the final destination, the exit strategy. And I don't know what's out there. I've seen flatliners and I've seen films. So it's about living. I've seen lots of people die. I've, I've been with people when they've died. Uh, I don't know where people are going to go, but that's the final destination. So it's about being in the moment, the now, experiencing the wow in the now. And when you do that, you'll also experience the ow, the OW. That OW is so important. So that is kind of in a roundabout way uh, where it is. I love that. So So almost embrace the ow to experience the wow in the now. Yeah, how wonderful is that? I've never and heard that before. That's brilliant. That's unique. That's me, shappiness. <laughs> but the, the thing is, I, uh, you know, I was nine. That was 52 years ago. And when in two, th- I was doing my sociology A level. If you imagine in a council estate in Leicester, somebody does a sociology A level, it's not quite in keeping with the environment. I love my environment, but. It enabled me to encounter a few things like Karl Marx, okay, Das Kapital. Mm. Karl Marx, Das Kapital. And Mein Kampf. Uh, was that Hitler? That was Hitler. But I also encountered within sociology uh, the term deferred gratification by Mr. Runciman. 
who discovered it in 1966 through his research of an automobile uh, factory in Birmingham. And, and it differentiated that term between working class and middle class. And I was also doing French and I was reading about the bourgeois gentilhomme. Uh, in the French, where you, you have the middle class, the aspirational middle classes, the sycophantic middle classes. I didn't want to be sycophantic. I, I was aspirational to my own life. And if so, those labels of middle class and working class were there, so be it. But it was about what did I really, really want to do? I didn't want to stick myself in the boxes because once you're stuck in a label in a box, it's very difficult to get out. So there's all these influences from all these philosophers and people because I chose to take myself out of an environment, and it was painful quite often, take myself out of an environment, find new things through passion. And once you are on that journey of passion, it means the suffering, doesn't it, with Jesus, the passion plan, you then meet new people. You smash through glass ceilings as uh, one of my coaches, Paul Lowe, who is the creator of World Game Changer, says, you smash through a glass ceiling, then another, and then another. And sometimes it's a bit of a thick glass ceiling. But is that law, the law of conformity? You reach a new step. You meet new people. And the thing is, those that see, this is important to say, those that see will see what they see, but those that can't see can't see. So if you are a newbie or a beginner in a new environment, those people around you that notice you will be able to help lift you, whether you're aware of it or not, to where you want to go. And that's also what I've done in my career. When I recruited, I, I interviewed and recruited hundreds of people, and I was able to somehow spot a something in somebody. So I did what I could to recruit them and work with them. And also being aware that at some point they're going to leave because they've reached the point where they can reach. So those glass ceiling words, the law of conformity, trumping the law of uplift, as Peter Sage would say, uh, being aware of that enables you to identify your choices that you have, make your decisions and own your decisions and the outcomes that go with it as well. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I, I got this thing about golden thread. So what what I what I do in in my daily walk, uh, you know, my, my job, my my work has to connect with my own purpose and my own mission uh, and and my own values. And it, and if that connection isn't there, um, if if something changes, for example, in the working environment. Uh, that doesn't necessarily automatically make me a bad worker, but it doesn't feel the same for me. And so, so the way I'm able to pursue and invest and 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 with energy changes completely. And and I have to either make a decision, and I've got either got to do something to change where I'm at, and 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 bring people together with a different point of view, and 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 then off we go again. Or I need to go somewhere else. And that's uh, that's something that I've. I found that that's that's helped me, but I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't have this kind of understanding of of, of my north star. So investing that bit of time in 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 understanding that I think is so so crucial. Yeah, and uh, what I did have a notice in from my work. I mean, my job was brilliant. It was given thirty odd years ago. It would have been my dream job. And that's the thing. All my jobs I did. Uh, were my dream jobs, my dream career at the time. And people said to me, oh, you're on a good career show. And I said, not a career. Yes, you are. And I realised I was. And because I help people, because I help people along the way, irrespective of the costs, as long as it was legal and ethical, okay, they help me. And this is where the law of attraction comes in and all the other universal laws. When I come to a next stage, they help me, either through them being there serendipitously or me just pointing out and reminding them, do you remember when? And that could, by increasing their awareness, they could make their decisions. But it was always about, I used to say to managers, you know, uh, if I do my job well, I'm going to be out of it in two years. Uh, I'm going to be somewhere else. Because it takes about two years to overcome a death, a shock or a new beginning. And if you do your best at what you can do uh, at your job, 
And also, we mentioned the environment, getting to know who are the movers and shakers in the organisation, getting to know who the people are that can help you, getting to know the people that you can help as well. By having creating that experience, uh, you can shift yourself up. Now, through my experiences in work in various roles, I was also a therapist, a reflexologist, and taught reflexology, massage, and calm therapist. Last century, the beginning of this century, until 2008. But if I could help people, it, it, it made me feel good. Uh, I felt good, and I never understood it. I understood it after I discovered the EDZO effect around 2012, the endorphin, dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin effect. And because I worked in a post-16 educational environment, non-accredited courses mainly, that was my specialism, I was able to help people at the beginning of their learning journey and I was qualified in giving information, advice, and guidance, and I knew the boundaries there. So as part of my profession, I learned more from what I discussed with other people, and I just take that forward. So I also applied it for me. So in times of difficulty, it's a bit like Napoleon Hill, outwitting the devil. Uh, when you are in extreme times of difficulty, you're down the black rabbit hole, no further can you go. You're in a back wall you know, the backward, or in my case, I was often bedridden through what I did and I had no choice. Uh, something happens inside and it's that, that guide that brings you out of it in a, you know, with deferred gratification. And when I became aware of this, before I discovered Napoleon Hill, I would just go back to where I was and think, right, what do I need to do? And that's where my shadow and my guide would work together to help me. And as we know, the, the chimp brain uh, keeps you safe, keeps you on your little velvet cushion. But it's the, the genius and the guide and the, the, uh, the unconscious, deep subconscious being of whatever it is that leads you to your next step, uh, wherever it may be. And that's when you, you just go back. Instead of in the real world, the practicalities, you know, step by step with your end goal, it's a case of being curious and saying, right, what do I want next? And it's like, I need to do this, I need to do this. So you go from a stage of need to want. And then when you reach the stage of want, you become creative and you're in flow and time and space is totally insignificant. Like when you do your walks, you just walk, go for a walk and you connect. You connect to the outside world and yourself as well. Yeah. Well, but you make me, a conscious choice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for, and for me, for me, it's running. For me, I, I I love I love running, and that that's kind of what I get from that. And uh, yeah, it's interesting when when you talk about need and want. If you if you need something, sometimes that becomes a little bit a little bit too desperate. But if you can change the way you're looking at it from the point of view of actually, no, I don't need this. I I deserve it. So that's and th and then then you get that gratitude, and that that gives you that energy then to to spur you on to to not just to enjoy the fact that I'm on a run or that you're on a walk, but when it comes to the things that you're doing, actually to say, okay, let's stretch this comfort zone that I'm currently in then. Let, let, let's, let's try something new. Let's, let's, let's dip a toe in here. Let's put myself in that situation where I've not done something before. Uh, and, uh, and, and there's, there's a reason for doing it. And you deserve to be there. And that, that's, that's a, a great feeling. It is, and we've both been on the Expert Speaker Academy yeah. with progressive success. And there's one thing that Rob Moore, genius man at what he does, uh, in all different directions, he introduced the term, and it was Tony Gargan that introduced this term to me, uh, GPS, in terms of the GPS approach to perspective. You do it with gratitude, but you do it with serving. Now, so many people in the world, like I used to, they just serve, consciously served other people. They give, 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 give. But at some point, the giving's going to break because you're going to end up with, with something, that falls, a brick or a bus, that forces you to stop because you can't give anymore. So if you have that awareness of, you know, you're important, you're worth it, you deserve it, give yourself it, and uh, then you can give others away. it. But you made that conscious choice. So when people give and help others, they're making a conscious choice about giving and helping others. But it's selfish as well, because selfish in the term is you, you're giving yourself pleasure and you're doing it for a reason. You're meeting your first human need of certainty, as Tony Robbins would, would describe. But 
you're seeing the impact of it. And this, like with, with in childhood, we're programmed in childhood, and it's usually the females. You help people, you do this. And boys are usually told, don't, big boys don't cry. That's where I came from. So by helping themselves, they can help, by helping other people, they can help themselves with this perspective. But without the awareness, you will be constantly serving whatever drives you, often from a negative driving force that you ain't got a clue about. It just drives you and it can't be explained. And isn't it much easier in the early stages just to keep going ahead? Because a thought, a thought once in motion uh, will continue until you stop it. It will continue its trajectory. So with awareness, you are starting to empower yourself to make your choices. No, identify your choices and make your decisions. Now, whether you choose to empower or disempower yourself from then onwards, that is down to you. But once you have awareness, there are no excuses, really, from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. And yeah, making making those those right choices, because I think, again, to, again, to agree with you, once you have awareness of 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 how best you can serve others, uh, if you don't do that, actually, pretty well, you're depriving the planet of of that service. Now, you've got to look after yourself, you've got to make sure that you look after yourself first. Well, they, I mean, they say leaders eat last, that was Sinek, wasn't it? Simon Sinek said leaders eat last, but they only eat last because yeah. they can they look after themselves first. So, so in, in yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sorry. so no, sorry, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, so, um, so, so from that from that point of view, uh, yeah, you've got to you've got to look after yourself. But but if you've got something that can help other people, my view is it's incumbent upon you to to do that. And and you know you have you have to do that because that's kind of why you're here. We're all unique, and we're all here for a reason. And uh, you know nobody else is going to do what you could do, perhaps for somebody. So uh, so you've got to do it because that's why you're here. And no, no one's done what you've done. Oh, well, they might have done it, but nobody's done it because you you've been programmed genetically from the past generational from our studying and learning and experiences and talking to people. When you're a baby, you come into this world a little seven pound thing, ideally. You know, I was about nine, but, I think, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, mum. Yeah, sorry, mum. Yeah, it was ten and a half. Um, but you come into this world, this this human earthling form, uh, with not much hair on, <laughs> and your greatest strength. I mean, uh, the babies that have survived in this world to grow to adulthood, it's their vulnerability and their rawness and their what they bring out in the mum or the dad or whoever it is that enables them to survive and as a parent you you often uh you get in the way of it <laughs> i know i did as well and when they get to a certain age like two you know two years old is a key thing the first word the child learns is probably dada or mama but then it's no and then that's the greatest gift in hindsight to a parent because it, it tests the parent in knowing they've got to give the child the best they can give the child to become the adult they are to be. But the challenge is uh, you are tested. <laughs> you are tested. And that's the practice for the testing that goes on. So for people that don't have children, uh, it's if you're working in careers when you're working with people, the people test you, even the managers that come in and tell you what you can't do. You're working with KPIs and targets. So it's about the giving of yourself to enable whatever goals are set, whether they be formal or not. But it's also about the giving yourself because if you don't give to yourself as you need, you will suffer, you will experience, you will have pain, you will self-sabotage. So it is about the giving and it is about the receiving. But it's about being aware and accepting and embracing the fact that you are worth it because that is the biggest challenge. And the other, well, one of them, the other one is forgiving, forgiving everything that was not nice in your experience and whoever was not nice because if you do not forgive what is not nice and what do, what affects you, it eats away at you. So you have to 
what's the famous words that Paul Lowe said to me? Let it go. Let it go. And that links into geography because a river has no brain. It has an intelligence because it wants to get from the from its source to its mouth. And if anything doesn't serve the river, what does it do? It dumps it. And it just continues on its uh, on its journey. And that's the same as humans. We have an innate intelligence. When we, even when we don't have capacity, because survival is that innate intelligence. But with awareness, we can we can create and we can choose what we want to do. Mm. That's uh, that's really helpful. And uh, what are you working on now? What we're working on now. What, I wrote yeah. it down for you actually. You are. I wrote it down. Oh, brilliant. I did write it down. So what we're working on. Right. At the minute, uh, personally, myself and my husband, we've just had an offer accepted on a little property in, in our investment. Well, our new investment. I kind of I chose a new investment area, which is local to us. Uh, and it was serendipitous how it happened. But that's the end of I say the end. Since last year, we knew what we wanted to do. We went and viewed properties. And we viewed 12 properties in two days in our investment area in Stoke-on-Trent. But we, we could agree what we were going to do with each property, but we couldn't agree what we wanted to agree on it. So we let them go. And then I deeply analysed uh, Southend, which is where, I, where we're choosing to invest now, and Stoke. It's good, Stoke-on-Trent, two S's. And what I've discovered is that the prices of the purchases, although the buildings might be smaller in Southend, are similar for the rent returned, but the potential is greater in the South End. So we're on a different mission here now at the moment. So we're working on a new purchase of a new investment property. Uh, the second thing is I'm working on the creation of a new book series with my co-author, Alex Zapala. And we're, we're calling it at the minute, it's Easy Read Guide Mastermind Series, uh, The First Place. So as we know, a master, oh, we, people don't know, I don't know, a mastermind is when you get masters, minds of masters that get together and help overcome problems and share experiences. So this is why we call it mastermind, because we have interviewed uh, many successful experts in property as defined by themselves, not defined by the world out there. Some of them are millionaires, some of them are 100,000 millionaires, some of them are not long into the journey. But they have invested in themselves, in the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. They have faced challenges. They've overcome the challenges. They've achieved their goals. And they're still facing challenges uh, or problems. And the thing about it is when they've overcome the challenges or problems, they're rewarded with another bigger one. So because we've we I won't give the number we've interviewed, but it's been uh, in the tens, not quite 100, but in the tens. Uh, so, and it originated from when we were on Clubhouse. We did a series of rooms to help people. A university, a Cambridge University time of eight weeks. And at the end of eight weeks, we had about 120 questions from people. So I decided, I thought, what am I going to do with these notes? So I pulled out five headers which were property mastermind beginners with the challenge that beginners face and i put some questions in each one and we ended up with over 70 questions that we asked people originally it was going to be us but then we expanded got bigger and bigger and bigger so now we've got a lot of people that have contributed to this book free time they've not charged anything for their time some of these are like mentors and huge hundreds of thousands of pounds for what their services because one of them said if what I, what I do here helps just one person, it, it's worth it. So this book uh, will save people time, or the series of books uh, will save people time, money, energy, stress. It will shortcut time for them to create the life they want to live. There's so much wisdom in there. There's thousands of years of wisdom. Some of these have invested hundreds of thousand pounds in their own training. There's so much wisdom in this space. That's why we're calling it the first the first place. We want it to be the first place that people go to to look at what people say and make their own decisions. So we're working on that. And then I'm also working uh, with World Game Changers. We're actually working, uh, I've, I've contributed towards 11 books of theirs in 14 months. Uh, you've seen the books. Uh, the first one was Mastering the Game of Life, which became... A 13th Amazon bestseller. 
and it became one of the top 50 books recommended by Thought Leaders 360 in the USA for 2021 in the pandemic. In life, in you know, it, we know we know AD, you know, uh, it was in that period of time where we had major challenges in our life in 2019, 220, 221. Uh, so that's one of the projects that I'm involved in, but a really important project that's coming up that I'm working with the team on, the operations team, is our signature conference, uh, a, a World Game Changers signature conference, which is going to be held in a unique okay, uh, location on the River Thames in a ship, uh, HQS. I can't give the name out yet, but we're working on that, and it's going to be a global event. It's going to be limited to people, probably about 130 people coming, uh, where we've never met a lot of our World Game Changers, so there's going to be people there and we are going to be inviting people to come along as well and invest in a table or supporting that sort of thing. So there's three key things that I'm working on. That's brilliant. So I suppose I suppose the property thing is about um, it was a passion of yours anyway, isn't it? But also then gives you the um, the, the, the the cash flow to be able to support your life and and, and other things and give you the time to do other things. Um, and then the, the the writing is great. And I've read a couple of your your bits, and it, and it, I would recommend uh, I recommend it to. I can't remember. What was, I'm really sorry. I can't remember what what, what book it was in because because there's about there's loads I of them. <laughs> but the, but I that was. Process. Yeah, yeah, but that, but that, that world game changer series is um, is brilliant because there's lots of contributors, and and they've all got they've all got a slightly different uh, topic. But there's something there's something I've read a couple of the articles because they're kind of article they're sort of shorts, aren't they? Everyone writes a chapter, so you get a big a good yeah. taste of of individuals and what they're thinking about, and there's variety in there, so they're brilliant. Um, well, handbooks, playbooks—you'd almost call it. So, and then, and then, world game changers. I've I've recently become aware of it because of you. So, thank you very much for introducing me to that. Welcome. So, in in a, in a couple of minutes, can you can you say what the purpose of world game changers is and and how it goes about doing that? Okay, they've just recently changed their, their mission slightly. I can't remember exactly, but it is basically about connecting people so that we can leave a legacy of a better world whilst experiencing it now so that way we it's intergenerational so we have experts in their subjects with values that they clearly defined on a mission and a vision so by utilizing everything there we can work with younger people and there is a younger people's academy so by everybody working together globally it enables the world to be a better place in these challenging times and it links in nicely to the last book it's going from fear to love and you talked about that golden gossamer thread well, isn't that what love is? It's a gossamer thread that ties everything together. It entangles around everything. And when, when love is in the time and the space, it just changes everything. So everybody's giving from the hearts. And every single one of those writers, they've all faced phenomenal challenges. They've all been their hero of their own life, but they've consciously shifted forward and if this helps so many people go from fear and uncertainty to not just living in need, I need to do this in survival, people can create the lives they want to live aligned to their highest values, living in the highest values, aligned to their mission and their vision. Does that summarise nicely? It does very nicely, very nicely. And what World Game Changers is about. Uh, so there, there are there are some there are there are projects that that World Game Changers gets funding for, aren't there? But a lot of it seems to be about mindset and seems to be about about uh, empowering people to make a difference in their own lives, rather than kind of coming in as a sort of an aid organisation to kind of help people in different parts of the world. Because it is truly global, isn't it? It is global. But how many worlds are there on this planet? It's a global planet. So if you can actually become your own world game changer and change your own world, and we do know the science is there. Uh, Joe Dispenza, 
Deepak Chopra, etc. The science is there. If you can change, it starts with a thought. If you can change your thoughts, you can change your your feelings, your emotions, your beliefs, your actions, your habits. So you change your world, and you you become the shining light. People see it. So you can actually begin to, with the ripple effect, change other people's lives, whether they realise it or not. You model. You you are what you're becoming. And imagine the coalescence of all these people coalescing, uh, impacting on, they don't know who they impact on, but if people can change their own word and reprogram themselves with their highest values, it, it becomes not just local or individual, it becomes global. Mm. And that can lead the way forward to the future. Brilliant. In so, the now. Go on. In the now, because there is only one time and one place, and that's in the now. Mm. People don't realise this. The long day won't come. If you keep saying, when I do it, uh, when I retire, I'm going to do this. I have seen thousands of people say, when I retire, and it don't happen. Or they do retire and their loved ones don't make it because of incapacity or anything. Mm. So by understanding how you can change in one millisecond what your thoughts, you can just change your world and begin the process of working with other people. And as you do that, you'll align with other people, with your highest values. We know that love is the highest vibration. Yeah, absolutely. So if there's somebody listening to this now who uh, has got a good idea of what they want to do, but they're but they're but they're saying to themselves, "Well, I can't." What well, what advice would you give them to to make that change? Be curious. Right. Did not who was it? Einstein. Einstein. He said, "Curiosity is everything. Uh, creativity, you know, is genius." So if you ask the question, "What do I really, really want?" Take money out of it. Right, just just remove money. Remove money's got money's neutral. You might not think it because you have emotional attachment to it. What do I really, really want, and why? And then just get yourself a diary, uh, a piece of paper, or a little book. Call it my why book, uh, and just write down your thoughts. I have got something here. See that? Yeah. What does it say? It says, "You were born original. Don't die a copy." Okay, so if you ask yourself the question, what do I really, really want? That's original because you're trying to find out what you want. And, okay, then, so I want this. Um, you're not going to get the answer, first of all. It takes years of digging. But if you know what you want, you, it's a worthy ideal to you, and you can just work towards it. Right, okay, what do I do today? You do it. What do I do tomorrow? So And repeat it. Just keep, when a thought comes in your head, what do I really want? And then if you also write this down, you can write that down. You know, you were born original, don't die a copy. But there's something else that you can write down. One day, your life will flash before your eyes. Make sure it's worth living. Because for me, I want to say on my deathbed, I did a podcast on this, and it's the old Frank Sinatra song. It links to that. Did it my way. And on my deathbed, if I can say I'm glad I did rather than I wish I had, that is going to be a more fulfilled and colourful life, like Bronnie Weir did with her research. You know, she eventually realised that she captured the thoughts of the dying. So don't do it through fear, but do it through what you want. Um, the answers will come. And the other bit of advice I would give is uh, I've started to do like, about a year now. I've been training with the mind power expert, Robin Banks. And there are a whole range of mind power tools that you can use to get you where you want. And one of them is capturing your dreams. Put by your bed a pen, don't use electronic gadgets, a pen and paper or a little book. And when you wake up, try and capture your dreams. Now, if they don't happen, they don't happen. You can't always catch them. But just say, I'm sorry, I haven't captured my dreams or I hope to catch my dreams tonight. So before you go to bed for a couple of minutes, just say this affirmation, I always remember my dreams. And one thing that I've just repeated, 
And then at the end, I know I'm not going to always catch my dreams. I just flip in this statement that says, and if I can't remember my dreams, just throw some words at me so I know what I'm doing. So what it is, is you're not just connecting with the physical now. Your dreams are your net computer, your brain computer. You've got your subconscious, superconscious in there. So it captures everything that your sense is building. So when you're asleep, you get all sorts of things mushing around. So when you wake up in the morning, just write them down. Don't try and interpret them. Don't put any emotion with them. Just see how it plays out. And by asking that question, what do I really, really want and why, your mind's job is to ask questions and answer them. So there's a few tips there. Brilliant. Thanks very much. That'd be really helpful again. Loads of helpful stuff on here. That's great. That's great. So um, I want to do um, ask a few quick fire questions, if that's okay. Are you happy to do that now? Yes. Okay. Okay. So um, if you can uh, tell me uh, what's your favourite album and why? Oh, my favourite album. Right. It goes back to the 1980s when I had a challenging time in my life, especially in 1988, 89, when, when mortgage rates went up. Property prices went down. It is Rick Astley, greatest hits, never going to give you up. <laughs> that it just stayed with me because it linked to deferred gratification. But yesterday or the other day, I played it all day yesterday, never going to give you up. There's a light burning bright within. That album is, for me, is amazing. My husband says, what the hell is he on about? But <laughs> Rick Astley, I, I just go back to it all the time. Mm. Love that music is a is a is a funny. I, I love music, and it's a it's a polarizing thing. And but it just it just yeah. I just I just love um, love hearing what people what people love about music because different music talks to different people for different reasons in a different ways. So that that's great. What's um, your perfect weekend? Not thinking, not thinking. <laughs> just no. The reason I say this is because. Uh, my father-in-law, he had an awful form of dementia called Pick's disease. And he'd gone from a six-foot solid man, the ideal grandfather. He was so confident in himself, but he was non-assuming. He would help anybody. And he, over time, he developed dementia. And in the last year of his life, I would spend uh, an hour and a half feeding him at lunchtime with a liquid of a consistency where he wouldn't choke. And it was on my day off at work and the weekend as well. And I realised then, well, there's nothing else I can do. I've just got to feed him and make sure. And it was only a yoghurt pot. And I learned to put myself in zonkland, I called it, zonkyland. And that is where, for the whole day, I don't make any decisions. I don't think... I, don't, I answer questions not for a discussion or a, uh, an intense discussion. It's just to give an answer. So by waking up in the morning when I want, looking out of my view from my bedroom with the cats jumping on my lap, I can get up when I want or not. It does not matter. Uh, my biggest decision will be, uh, should I put it in the microwave or not? Or shall I have a cup of coffee? But my husband does that usually. And then getting up and maybe... I haven't got a clue. Going for a cycle ride, going for a walk, doing the things that I love to do and give me joy, reading, writing, uh, maybe going with a friend. She's got, I've got a friend with a two-year-old grandchild and uh, she calls me Auntie Sharon. Uh, she's my surrogate grandchild. Uh, my kids tell me they're not having yet, or at all, I don't know. But to be with a two-year-old is magic because they ain't got a clue who I am. They just want Auntie Sharon to give them their food or feed them drinks or play with them. So that's lovely. And just being in a, a nice place and then go to bed when I want and go to sleep when I want and no alarm clock, no technology. But there might be technology there. It just depends. You're, you're in this magical garden where time, might be gardening as well, where time and space just coalesce and it just, just flows. That's my ideal day. So, not too hot, not too cold. <laughs> just, too just, just right. You want it just right. Sounds like there's a lot of uh, a lot of freedom, freedom in that, and just be, freedom to be. Go back to the beginning of the seagulls. Mm. That's one of my favourite. Jonathan Livingston Seagull. I'm just like you know that. And I read a book recently called Acre, recommended by Kevin McDonald actually uh, from Progressive. It was called Acres of Diamonds. 
So for anybody, isn't sure, go back to the original question of what you want to do, just read Acres of Diamonds and it might give you some answers. The other one is The Dip by Seth Godin, recommended to me by Ray McLennan. And when I read that book, I handed my notice in rather quickly from work. From and that was quite a while back, but yeah. Great, great recommendations. We'll put those book recommendations in the uh, in the show notes. Thank you. Yes. So, um, what makes you lose track of time? When I'm in the flow. When I'm in when I'm in shappiness land, and which what- is my world. I'm often I'm often told I don't live in the real world, but I think I'm still alive. <laughs> I'm not dead. I quite like my world. <laughs> So, yeah, gardening often, reading, going on social media, that, that that's, has its pros and cons, but just doing what I do without thinking. The seamless transition from one minute, you know, just all the way through. Being with kids, that two-year-old, uh, eating ice cream, <laughs> just what I, enjoy, what I enjoy, especially salted caramel ice cream, salted, salted caramel ice cream. Lovely. Is there any such thing as a stupid question? No. You might think that's a stupid question. Actually, but if you flip it around and say that's a curious question. So there are lots of curious questions because everybody, and this is what the book is about, and in the clubhouse room, in the curiosity club in the clubhouse room, uh, when Alex and I did that, we agreed at the beginning, no question is a stupid question. We had to create an environment where people felt safe to ask those questions it's a bit like when you've got a question but you don't or you don't want to ask your partner or the ones you go for fear of judgment or something like that so you go to the pub at the other end of town or in the next town and you speak to the drunk person who's not quite drunk but they're a wise person live their life and you know they're going to give you an answer we create a decision then you can go back and no one knows about it so we create curious questions and this is what the book is about curious questions uh, when people start in property or any career, they have lots of questions because they don't know what lies ahead. They may have the subject knowledge, but they don't know what lies ahead. So by asking questions, if you ask questions to some people, they'll say, what oh, bloody stupid questions, excuse my French, or they'll think it, or they'll put a funny face, or they'll laugh. Well, when somebody does that, that indicates that person's got a very obvious question. It's so obvious to the beginner. Uh, But with hindsight, uh, it's not obvious, is it? Because they're asking that question for a reason. Whether it be to annoy you or what, to get your reaction or play devil's advocate, but they're asking that question. So we had in the room people asking three types of questions. One, a chosen question. Two, when we said, have you finished, uh, Is there anything, does that answer your question? They went, yes. But sometimes we have the blurty out questions, which just came like that. You think, where did that come from? And they were the best questions because they were curious questions. So the book uh, shows clearly that no question is a stupid question. They're all curious questions. And the fact that the experts, you know, who have lived this, probably asked the questions or felt them at the time. So when you are in an environment when you can't be natural and you can't ask the questions you want, uh, if you attach emotion to it, it'll be a stupid question in the minds of the person who thinks it's a stupid question. But it's a question, a curious question. Excellent answer. Thank you. So who inspires you the most and why? Oh, me. Got to be me. I've learned. I inspire me. Uh, my gran used to. There's so many people. My gran my husband, my kids. Uh, when I was at school and when I was teaching, thousands of people inspired me. I had a mentor called John Philbin, uh, the first mentor that I invested in in property, with Progressive Property, and he inspired me. I had another one, uh, Natasha Collins and Hazel Decline, because they're all experts in what they do. And the brilliant thing about experts in what they do, and it's not just a subject, is experts see what the experts see, but the, what the non-experts can't see. But it's who uplifts me at the time. So if somebody uh, shares something from the heart, that inspires. Paul Lowe is another person. Everybody in World Game Changers. My husband, the cats, you know. <laughs> the cats, because... We say, we laugh, you've laughed, yeah. right? But when the cats come and sit by me, I have earned the cat's acceptance to trust me. 
So when they sit there, they I stroke them, and when I stroke them, it's therapeutic. You know, you've got that oxytocin coming out, and that inspires me. And I wrote a poem. My dad died in November 2020, the 2nd of November 2020, the day after the first World Game Changer book came out, Mastering the Game of Life. And I had to think about it as I sat there with his corpse because he died. I missed the moment he died. And I thought, when you die, you take the last breath. And when you're born, you take the first breath. And that word inspire, uh, it's about inspiring. It lights a fire. Oxygen lights a fire, going back to DOE time and camping. So there's so many people that can inspire. If you want the poem that I wrote, sitting by my dad when he died on that night of the 2nd of November 2020, I can share it because I often share that poem. It's about inspiration. Uh, because it helps people and when people have died just because they've died it doesn't mean they can't inspire you so my ex-judo coach and my grandma they're both dead now but my judo coach inspired me he enabled me to see that I could do what I wanted to do and my gran the seagulls <laughs> butterflies you know there's just so much there and um so have you got have you got your poem to hand or do you know it off by heart? Do you want me to read it? It's long. It's in the book. Your legacy is left, not just with loved ones and beyond, but more than that, through them, through what they say, what they do, what they feel, what they create. You see, a legacy is not just about money, possessions, the tangible. A legacy is something, something so good. It carries on far beyond what it touches. A legacy transcends far beyond what we can ever imagine. It transcends, not just through time and space. It touches, it reaches, it travels through mind space. And of course, it can reach deep within to the heart space. And then it is transported through to every cell within, deep within. Not only is legacy a transient energy, it's more powerful than, you see, than that you see. In fact, it's something possibly you cannot see. Or maybe it's something you feel, something that is heard, even though you cannot hear no more. A legacy is powerful enough, can start the fire burning with its fuel, not just now, but forever, in our soul, in our spirit, in the essence of us. If enabled and empowered, your legacy can never die, because simply it is contained within the essence of who enabled it to touch them deep through what you did. So by taking the last breath, there's one thing sure, that breath is actually more powerful than all the rest. And simply, with that lost breath, last breath, but possibly so deep, you've created many reasons for your legacy to never disappear for as long as it's chosen never to go. Wow. That was my dad. My dad inspired me. He used to say to me when I was a kid, and I remember it, I was about 17 doing sociology, and I'm going to swear, and I'd annoyed him, he said, why are you so bleeding cantankerous? And then my mum came in with a penny on. She said, because he takes after you. That's why. And when in coaching, I'm a trained life coach as well with what I do. One of the questions that's asked is, oh, you like motion? My mum or your dad? And when my dad died, my sister said, bloody hell, she said, we're more like our dad than our, we realised. Because my dad was an advocate for people. The, the weaker, disempowered person. But because he was in an army, in the army, and because he was a boxer, his answer to being the advocate was telling people what he thought. And if they didn't agree with him, he'd punch them. <laughs> but I had to do it in a different way, for a pinnacle. And uh, I had to do it in a different way. So dad was an inspiration. Mum was an inspiration. She was so creative. When she retired... I paid for her to do learn card making and decoupage. And she was, she taught the grandkids. So the grandkids are creative. So, yeah, mum and dad are inspirations, but often you don't realise it till after they're gone. Mm. There we are. There's a poem. Beautiful. Hope you like it. I can share it with you. That's fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for that. And thank you for, for, for coming on People With Purpose. There's been so much. I've realised I probably used the word 
the phrase that's really helpful about five times after what you've said and uh, at the risk of being a bit repeti repetitive but but it has been really helpful you've you've reminded me of so many things that I, I I've kind of heard and then you, you part them and forget them and all that sort of stuff and you've taught me something new as well so thank you Sharon it's been brilliant to, to talk to you and to listen to you if people want to find out more about you um where can they where can they follow your your work okay that's your question Next question. What's my name? What's your name? It's Sharon Griffiths. With one R. So that's where they'll find me. www.sharongriffiths.com And that's why I asked you the question. It's about a hook. In Hannibal Lecter, he said to the young girl, what's her name, Charlene or whatever, he said, to remember something, you have to find a hook. So I am the hook. <laughs> uh, you've just reminded people what my name is. And the website uh, is where you'll find me. Simple. Simple, Sharon. Brilliant. <laughs> and uh, and so if you want a bit of shappiness, then everyone, then, uh, then that's where to go. Uh, uh, so uh, thank you ever so much for your for your time and also thank you as well because since I, I, I met you and only only a couple of weeks ago uh, that you've you've thought of me a couple of times and you've sent me messages and I've not replied to all of them I'm sorry about that but I'm really really grateful to you for for, for your help you really are living your your mission and, and, and making a difference in, in the world so thank you Sharon it's been great great to meet you and I've got to say thank you to you. You know, this begs the question of serendipity. Why the hell did you appear in that last session? It's probably August, August 221, wasn't it? That was that my last session. And you appeared and I'm in the group. So it happened for a reason. Yeah. There is there's another saying I'll finish with. There are people that come into our lives for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And they may disappear and they may go, but they're always there. And if you can spot those people there's the food on your spider's web because if somebody catches you and you think my god what is it just just go with the flow there's got to be a reason don't let them go thanks for listening to people with purpose i hope you've enjoyed the show and are enjoying going on this journey please remember to like and subscribe and give us a five star review uh, tell all your friends and if you're interested in finding out more about any of the things we've covered in this episode of People With Purpose, just get in touch. All the details are in the show notes. Thanks. Bye.